Talking to the Bike, brought to you by RSN Sports, Best in the Business, Parmar, and Brent's Plumbing. Looking for a chiropractor? Try Hill Chiropractic, Main Street, Madison, and Logan. They'll treat you like family. Welcome to episode 45 of Talking to the Mic. And this is an extremely special episode. From the streets of Cleveland to the rolling hills of Morgantown, West Virginia, to circling the wagons with the Buffalo Bills. This special guest was a consensus All-American and struck fear in the hearts of every offensive coordinator that he ever played against. A man that was five foot nine as a junior grew to six foot one, 146 pounds as a senior, and was we were lucky enough to get him a scholarship for him to earn a scholarship to West Virginia University. Mr. Daryl Talley. Daryl, are you with me? Yes, I am. How are you? I'm hanging in there, buddy. Just trying to get through today, man. Just trying to stay healthy and stay ahead of the pandemic and out of the fray of everybody. And I hope everyone else is doing the same. Well, kind words. Kind words, Daryl. Much appreciated. Uh, Daryl, as we, as we start this thing off, uh, tell us about your athletic career. Uh, starting in Cleveland and uh, West Virginia and, and then the NFL? Well, I'm perhaps the most unique person you'll ever interview or talk to because I don't know too many people that going into their senior year were five foot six, 146 pounds, grew to six foot one with a broke ankle and played 10 varsity games in high school. I played seven my junior year, three my senior year. My senior year, we played against number three, four teams in the state. And the other one was against one of our rivals. In the first two games, I made every tackle on the field, but about two. And the other one, I made 18, the third one. And it got me a full ride to WVU and offers from Iowa, Iowa State, Colorado, and Syracuse were the big schools that recruited me. I got recruited by a bunch of Mac schools and stuff like that also, but I'd only played 10 varsity games, if you can think of that. My junior year, I broke my hand fighting. My senior year, I didn't play because of a broke ankle. Uh, I get there, get to college, and who recruits a kid 146 pounds, 6'1", linebacker? But I I wouldn't. I would hit you and knock you in the middle of next week. And that's what I think was a saving grace that I was just tenacious when I came time to play the game. Yeah. Bring in the lumber, man. And I, and I had Oliver Luck on earlier and, and I was talking to him about my earliest memories as a, as a West Virginia fan, as a sports fan are people like you and him and, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to be in around the locker room as uh, in that era, and uh, you scared me to death. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to scare you. Well, you know, I've seen what you had just done for 60 minutes, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, as a young player, I was like, my gosh, how would I ever block a guy like that? And very few people did block you. Yeah, that was the thing. Object was not to be blocked, and what what actually helped me out. I think more so than anything is that all throughout my playing years, I was always the smallest guy on the line, smallest guy playing. And when I finally started to get to the same size as other people, they didn't want to compete with me because they were getting hit twice as hard and fast. And I was trying to run over them and make, and make mincemeat out of them because that's what they tried doing to me because I was the little guy. They wanted to beat me up, <laughs> and I wasn't having that. And that that comes from my background growing up here in Cleveland, East Cleveland, Ohio, just being a, a rock-hard person and knowing how to play the game and knowing that you can play the game very hard. Yeah, and you certainly did. Uh, you know, as we, as we hang around the West Virginia subject, 
Uh, you were recruited by Frank Signetti, but you really hit your, yes. you really hit your stride under Coach Nealon. Uh, yes, I did. Well, go ahead. I can tell you a little story about Coach Signetti. Um, it was 1978 was the first year you could redshirt freshmen. I, I didn't know nothing about it or anything like that. And for the first two travel games of the season, I traveled. So if you were on a traveling squad, you figured you were going to play that year. And this was in 1978. Well, Coach Nettie brought me into the office and he told me, he said, son, sit down. We're going to, we're going to talk. I'm going to redshirt you. I said, wait a minute. I said, coach, I don't know. I don't know what the hell you're talking about this redshirt shit, but um, you need to talk to my mom and my daddy about that. Because I don't know nothing about it. And then he explained it to me. And I, st- I still told him, go talk to my mom and my daddy about that. Because I didn't want to not play. But at the end of the day, I could kiss him for what he did for me. It, it actually gave my body a chance to grow, to catch up to everybody else. I started to get more strength. I started to learn more about what I was supposed to be able to do with this bot, this new body I just got. And it was the best thing he could have ever done for me. So Frank Signetti did one hell of a thing for me, being a freshman in 1978, redshirting me, giving me that extra year to grow and mature and become a better football player, a better person. So yeah, he did me a tremendous favor. And at the beginning, I was mad because I didn't know what it was. I thought I was being stigmatized and put in a hole, not going to be able to play. Oh, you don't know half the things that went through my head. Yeah, and at the time, Daryl, correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't redshirt like the entire class like Coach Nealon did. They just picked and choose. No. Yeah, they picked it. Well, back then was the very first year you could do it. So they chose the people they wanted to redshirt. And anybody that didn't travel after the third game, I think, he redshirted. Because we had just about half, well, not half, a lot of the guys in our class didn't get redshirted. Like Daryl Miller didn't get redshirted. Billy Evans didn't get redshirted. There were a lot of Eldridge Dixon. A lot of those guys still continued to play. They didn't get redshirted. They were playing. Yeah, and what what great names to mention from the past that just brings up my memories uh... – I just love talking to you guys. I really do. Uh, I get I get as much out of it as you do. Well, it's fun because what we're doing is we're thinking about guys that formed our lives back then and things that we learned. We had we had an awful lot of fun in, in school. Um, we had guys from all over the place, from all warps of life, and we were truly the melting teapot dome system. <laughs> because we were we were a ragtag bunch when you first looked at us, to be honest with you. But um, Frank Signetti recruited well, and Coach Nealon came in and continued to do well. <clears throat> Here's the thing. In my opinion, what I think turned WVU around was the two classes before my class and the two classes before mine. And that would have been the class of 77, and 76 and 78 is who made, or 78, no, 77, 78, and 79 are the classes that turned West Virginia. Yeah, and, and the tell, us, tell uh, the listeners about what you told me about the uh, sprinters from Ohio that signed. Oh, oh, the funny part is that we had the double-A sprint champ from Ohio in Delbert Fountain, the triple-A sprint champ. Delbert Fowler was triple A. We had Curlin Beck, who was double A, I think, and Ray Armstrong, who was single A. Yeah, the three. We had the hunt. These, these are three guys. One guy playing defense, and the other two guys are playing um, offense or running backs in the state of Ohio. And that didn't include the guys that we had from other states that were sprint champs. So I'm thinking to myself, we got a bona fide track team. We can fly. And, bro, if you could, if you got in a race to run, you better be ready because <laughs> they would fly, they'd run by you. And, yeah, look at and you. you know, just so folks know. And I was a slow and guy. And just so folks know, Daryl was Fowler was a linebacker. He wasn't a cornerback. Yeah. 200, no, Daryl Fowler was a linebacker, 235, 230 pound linebacker. 
There was a high school. It's just amazing. I mean, you don't you wouldn't believe this the sprinters that came out of school when Delbert came out. The year before me, we had uh guys that none of them made the Olympic team, surprisingly. They all ran in the Pan Am games and they all I mean, every one of them went to school. I played against we played against a bunch of them when we played them in the Gator Bowl. We played the Gator Bowl against uh, Florida yep. State. We played a bunch of, against a bunch of the kids from my area. Then they were they were the other sprint champs from John Hay, East High, and Glen um, Glenville, the other school. So yeah, we had them all over. The yeah, place. That's coming out of Cleveland. That's coming yeah. out of Cleveland. It's uh, you know, those those stories are just great that you share that people would otherwise you, never know. They would never know. Well, let's think of it. Think about this. If you run nine eight four hundred, you're considered pretty right. fast, right? Well, I couldn't even get on a relay team until I was a senior in high school. Well, you know, you know, I, I run it. I run it. I, <laughs> Wait a minute. We had nine two. We had a nine two, a nine three, a nine four, a nine five. Skip nine six, no skip. Had nine six, skip nine seven, and went to nine eight. Me, and that that's not slow. Nine eight is not slow. But but there, but there, for for my guys, yeah, for your guys. But but I'm gonna. You've let us in on some secrets. Let me let you on a, a really an unknown secret. I went. I once okay. ran a nine flat. What was that in? 80 yards or to the refrigerator? Uh, 40 yards. It was 40 <laughs> yards. Now, look, I'm not cracking on you any at all, which I usually do. <laughs> I, had to have I know, but I'm just saying. It's on now. But uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it don't scare you any, I know. But, uh, no, I, in all kidding aside, that yeah, like we talked earlier, uh, somebody was going to track you down, you know, with that speed, yes. and uh, you know, as you you also had Fulton Walker uh, on that team, uh, run the first kickoff back. Robert Alexander and uh, Fulton Walker run the first kickoff back in Super Bowl history. Uh, uh, yeah. Great picture in Sports Illustrated. Uh, he was my corner. Fulton was. He was a corner that played behind me. Fulton was. Yes, he was the corner. Well, that's not a bad guy to have backing you up. Uh, <laughs> No, it ain't a bad guy at all, considering he hit you like a ton of right. trucks. Yeah, you guys had a great defense. So then uh, you were Frank Signetti, Coach Nealon comes in, and now Denny Brown is your defense coordinator. How much of a change was that? But I'm going to tell you, it was a huge change from what we had. But the thing about Coach Nealon, when he came in, he said something to us in our first meeting at Towers. You know, I, I'm a guy from Cleveland, so I'm not believing anything he's saying. So he said, "You got you now. You guys are all my guys." So well, how the hell we become his guys? He didn't recruit us. He didn't know nothing about us until he came here. This is me sitting there. Now I'm looking. He says, "Well, you're all my guys now." Yeah, I'm looking around the room. I looked at Delbert. I looked at Pat Conahan. They're looking at me. They go, mm. "I said okay." I said, "Well, how are we gonna be his guys?" I said, I understand if we do what he's asking, we'll be all right. But he's going to have to show me some soul. I'm that guy that says, okay, well, what's he going to do? And what he did was he actually started talking to us, started getting us or talking to you, telling you what you needed to do with your body to get better and to be better with it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this sounds good. I'm listening. And the more I listen, the more I say, you know what? This sounds pretty good. Okay. So I say, if we buy into what he's saying and it don't turn out, I can act a fool. But if it turns out, I'm just going to shut up and keep going. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. We, Because we were sitting there. I mean, think about it. You guys, you just lost all your coaches and everything. You're a college kid. Everybody, somebody's, Some guys transferred. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I just got here. I was like, uh, I just got here. I ain't going nowhere. Why y'all leaving? Okay. Well, y'all keep going. 
See ya. Yeah, and um, the rest is history. Uh, consensus All-American. Yeah. Um, I think you were drafted in the – was it the third round? Second, Second round? round. Should have been a first-rounder. I actually got – well, that was the thing. I actually graded out as a first-round draft pick, but because I had a pinched nerve in my neck and shoulder and my draft was so packed with athletes – that it kicked me from the first round to the second round. But, you know, in hindsight, Daryl, it worked out really great for you that you landed where you landed with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, yes, it did. It did. Everything did work out. It, it, they say God says things are done for a reason. That was, I guess that was one. What about your, uh, when you were there, you know, you guys almost beat Pitt. I think the score was sixteen to thirteen, and and uh, kicked it, kicked in the field goal by Paul Woodson trying to tie it that hit the crossbar. Uh, you almost beat Penn State in the I, rain, fifteen to ten. Uh, Kurt Warner, hey, and that game, that game, that game made me play special teams in the NFL because I went to Coach Nealon afterwards, and I told him, I said, Coach. I don't ever want to get I, – I remember the Penn State game like it was yesterday. I mean, I knocked – here's the thing. I knocked Todd Blackledge out of the game. Jeff Hostetler came in the game in the second half and beat us in the second half. And then he came to WVU the following year. I was like, damn, why didn't you just stay at Penn State? Why didn't you just why, – why didn't you come earlier? Why would you do that? Why did you have to – I mean, I had tried everything in the world to beat Penn State. Had him beat. Jeff comes in and Kurt Warner returned to kick. And I looked at Coach Neal and I said, Coach, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't get beat like that again. I'm on special teams. I'm playing. And I went to the NFL and I was R5. I was <laughs> right next to the kicker. Me, straight down the hat. That's awesome. Full speed ahead. Yeah. And that's what I told him. And I was like, look, I, I, it, it hurt me to my heart. I mean, here it is. I've got Penn State beat. Yeah, and that would have been in that would have been a great win and a great feather in Coach Nealon's cap to start off the bat with no doubt. Now, Daryl, when you went to the NFL, how big were you then? Oh, by the time I got to the NFL, I was two two thirty. I got my senior year. I played at two two eleven to two twelve. And that offseason, I got myself up to about 225 because I remember going to the combines and everything. And um, what's his name? Mel Kuyper. Mel Kuyper called me on the day of the draft and told me, oh, well, Daryl, you were a little small. You, I said, no, hold it. I'm 225 pounds now, 230 pounds now. I ain't 210 because that's what he was saying. I was a smaller linebacker at that time. And I was like, nope, I'm not that way. Because you could talk on the phone to him while they were talking. And I was talking. I said, nope, that's not me. No, I'm 225 pounds now. And then he just let it go, and we kept going. Well, But, yeah, I had to get Mel Kuyper back. <laughs> well, so now you're in the NFL. How, how much did the game change at that point, uh, terminology-wise, uh, the speed of the game, et cetera? Okay, uh, when I first got to Buffalo, I had a coach by the name of Bob Zeman who didn't believe rookies could play. So he wasn't going to let me play until midseason. So, but then I got to get in a few games early. And by the midseason, I was playing. And I was second on the team in sacks. And I hadn't been in – and I wouldn't allow to rush the passer that much. So he was like, okay, well, he's going to be all right. And he let me gradually let me play that year. Come back the next year to play. Um, come to camp. I'm the starting outside linebacker. We had gotten rid of the guy that was behind me that I had replaced. And then it was just about me learning the game, <clears throat> understanding it, what it what my job was, where I had to be, 
what I had to do. And at the beginning, it was kind of crazy because defenses were, I mean, this guy had me covering one guy. on Me and the outside linebackers would be deucing. In other words, I'd be covering a tight end on the other side of the field if he were to come to my side of the field. And I have to get back off the ball and look at him to see if he did come my way. And if he didn't come my way, I'd have to play the hole. So there were all kind of nuances to these defenses. And I'm thinking like this in high school. So much more complicated. I mean, obviously, but I'm going but high school, that, college, no. Yeah, that's 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 just a great story to to let fans know, and and you became somewhat famous for wearing a Spider Man suit. Hold on, one one other guy was crucial. Played in, and I had Phil Villapiano, who played for Coach Nealon at Bowling Green, who was teammates with Bob Simmons. They were the outside linebackers at Bowling Green together. One was my coach, and the other one's I'm playing with. And Coach Nenon was my head coach. So wow. that's an interesting fact I don't think a lot of folks know. And what else I also learned was once I had Ben Williams, who was an older guy, younger guy, and Sherman White, which was one of the first black guys to play football and graduate from Cal Berkeley. He was gra- drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals in the first round when he came out of school. And the, I had him, Sherman White, and Phil Villapiano to teach me how to become a pro. And I know that sounds crazy and it sounds stupid, but if you don't have somebody teach you something or how to do it, then you're just gonna run amok and everything's gonna be all haywire and it's all over the place. Well, these guys taught me what it was like to be a pro. They taught me what it was like to be on time for a meeting. You know what that means? If the meeting starts at five, if if it starts five, if, if it starts at, 10 o'clock, you be there at 10, 10 to 10, 10, 10. You be there 10 minutes early. And then you just sit there and you just sit there and talk and watch the room. And I'm sitting there, why do I want to watch the room? You see, you want to watch how everybody comes in and you want to see who's paying attention, who's not. Who needs to, who you need to direct your attention to to get on the same page as you're on with everybody else. So they're teaching me how to read my teammates as they come in the door, who's had a bad night, who hasn't, how to read them and how to get along with everyone in the locker room and be someone that they can count on. Because like I told them, I said, if we're a chain and I'm the weakest link, it'll never break. Because they said the weakest link in the chain always breaks and I'm the weakest link. All of y'all better than me. I'm the weak link that's holding everybody together, but I will not break. I will stretch, but I will not break. And that well, was Darryl, my mentality. Dare I assure you, you were not the weak link. Oh, that's the way I had to be, though. I had to think of it that way. And I understand that. And you also, you know, you played, you had some great teammates. Uh, Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, uh, oh, trust Andre me. Reed, I, uh, Bruce James Smith. Lofton, Bruce Smith, my roommate, who went to Virginia Tech, by the way. And my daughter even went to school there. So don't even ask me and get me started on that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different ball game. <laughs> but um, yes, I had some I had some really good players. Cornelius Bennett. Um, I had some guys that are world class people, not just good football players, world class people. And to this day, we're all still just as tight as thieves. I mean, our wives talk about us because we still talk to each other every day. If you can believe that. No, I believe it. And and you know what? What most fans on social media don't get is they've never been in a locker room. They've never been on a field where you just finish running 10 hundreds together. Uh, step downs. Uh, power fist where you're all just beat. You're dead. You're thinking you're dying. And you just want just when you're, you just want your mommy to come <laughs> hold you. And, that's what you want. You want your mommy to come hold you and give you something to drink and let you cool off. Yeah. Because and, 
It is. Uh, I was gonna say, I, I tell people, you know, you saw Saturday from one o'clock to four o'clock. You don't see the rest of it. No, they don't see what happens from six in the morning till eight at night, and sometimes later because you had to go to study hall, and then, or if you didn't do that, you were studying film to know what your opponent was going to do. And that's just like I was talking to my brother tonight. He says guys in college didn't study the way they, guys in college was told what to do, whereas when you get to the NFL, guys had to study to learn what they were to do. I told him, I said, nah, this back, back then we had to learn, we had to know where the guy was at, what he was doing. So I said, we had different coaches than a lot of people did because they made us do our own work. They didn't do yeah. it for us. And just so folks know, your brother is uh, John Talley, who yes. played quarterback at West Virginia and then went on to play tight end in the NFL, right? Yes. We were talking yeah. about that he tonight. Was, he was actually a teammate of mine. Yeah. My brother's yeah. a piece of work. <laughs> well, we, we won't go there. Very, very gifted. Very gifted, but a piece of work. I love him <laughs> to death. Uh, it's uh, you know, one thing about you, you, you uh, get what's on your mind. Oh yeah, I'm gonna tell you what's on it. I can't because I can't, I can't hold it in. Because if I hold it in, then I'm doing me a disservice. And my old man's always told me, he says, "Look, son, you got to say what's on your mind and get it off your chest. Because if you don't, you're gonna have ulcers and everything else." And I'm like, ulcers? What are them? He said there's a little blistering things that bu- that puss up and look like that nasty sores on you. I don't, I don't want none of them. <laughs> so I just tell like it is. I just say what I got to say and get it over with. Yes, it, yes, it has gotten me in trouble. Yes, I have gotten in trouble for it because I said something I shouldn't have said. But in the heat of battle, I'll say just about anything. So I don't put it past well, me. Well, let me ask you some semi-controversial questions, Daryl. Were you ever ejected from an NFL game? Yes. (laughs) I didn't know the answer to that. uh, Do you you want to expound on that? I will expound on it. We're playing the Houston Oilers in Buffalo. And they are holding Fred Smurless and Bruce Smith, and they kept holding them. I told them, quit holding. Don't hold them. If you're going to hold them, hold them. But don't hold them and grab them by their face mask. So they hold, they got Bruce and they swinging Bruce and Freddie around. It was Dean Stein Cooler and Mike Munchak. And hey, two two big talented offensive linemen. So I was like, what? I told him, I said, y'all better cut. I, I cussed at him. I told him, y'all get cut the shit. They didn't want to stop. So I came running from the end zone in Buffalo, I was running, I ran 60 yards. 60 yards I ran on the fly because I seen Dean Stein cooler in them holding Bruce Smith and Fred Smurders by the face mask and swing him around. I went to work on his midsection in the middle <laughs> of the game. They kicked me out of the game. They kicked Bruce out of the game. Uh, Marv Lee said, yeah, they lost Mon Paul Kettle. We lost Mr. Universe and Miss America. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> okay. Let me ask you this, Daryl. Were you ever fined by the NFL? Yes. And you know, <laughs> and that's from and that was for leaving the bench. We're playing the game was on TV. We're playing the games. We're playing the New York Jets in New York. Um, Ben Drake makes the call. He says, foul on number six. Personal foul on number 73, giving the quarterback the business. Oh, that was that game? That was that game. I came off the bench and got fined $2,000 because they were they were out there and weren't going legit. They were holding Jim on the ground, beating on him. And when we came off the bench, this was a team. This was my teammate. You're not going to beat on my quarterback. No, I'm, gonna, I'm getting me a little bit of your ass. Somebody going to pay for this. So we, <laughs> I ran me all of us the whole our entire defense got fined because offense was, was on the young? offense was on the field they were running the play 
and he's got Jim on the ground just just digging, just digging at him, punching him. And I, we came off the sideline. And the NFL find all of us. They find yeah, two thousand for you, two thousand for you, five fifteen hundred for you, five hundred. Yeah. So I told Jim, I said, you know what? You didn't pay our fines either. We came to save your ass. He said, I know. Thank you. I'm sorry, <laughs> but thank you. Hey, at least he had enough. He had enough balls to say thank you. So yeah, that yeah. Said, I've been fined. And you know, as a as an outsider looking in. You got that sense that the bills were tight. Yes, uh, and I, I know, also got fined for wearing my Spider-Man sleeves. Really? Because, yeah, he told me that they say something. I sat right there and looked at him and said, "No, they don't say anything." <laughs> I won't say I won't say which who it was, but I told him in front of our GM, and this guy was calling from another place. I told him, I said, "No." I said, your problem is you're mad because guess what? They don't, you don't get paid for it. I said, that's your problem. You don't get paid for it. And I was smart enough to think it would put something to cover my ass up and protect me and keep me warm. And I said, it doesn't say anything, has no writing on it. And he was, yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't know what to say to that. He was well, because I, you were right. Because you were right. You called him on it. Yeah, and I was like, "Doesn't say anything." Yes, it does. It implies. What's it implying? It doesn't imply anything. It's my colors, my team colors, and that's it. And he 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 got mad because, and then they came out with um, years later, everybody. What's it called? I can't. Under Armour came out with it, and mine was a downhill ski racing suit. So yes, I got fined for wearing that. <laughs> I got, and you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I, I had the opportunity to to get on the sidelines for a Monday night game, and uh, the there was a guy walking around with a clipboard, writing down players' uniform infractions. Yeah, they still do that. Socks wasn't high, socks wasn't high enough. Jersey wasn't tucked in. Yep. Uh, That's three. I, I knew they kind of did that, but I was. I was really surprised at the how, how uh, uh, intense the guy was. Oh no, they they are definitely intense because you got to remember, most of the guys that are doing that are ex ball players, and they, they come Sunday their motor gets running a little high too. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, they they he, the guy I don't know who he was, but but now that you mentioned he was he was a big man. And he had some confrontations with a couple of guys. Uh, yes. Again, I was lucky enough uh, through our friend Sam Huff. Uh, got me a great man. path. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, you know, him and I became really, really close. Uh, and I appreciate that fact. Uh, just as I appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, you and I are friends. How many, how many people can say they're friends with Sam Huff and – Daryl Talley, and know. Oliver Lark, and uh, uh, I mean the list goes on. What's that? Oliver Luck. Funniest story. Oliver Luck. Funniest story I can tell about Oliver Luck. We're in <laughs> we're in Morgantown, and everybody's trying to figure out who Oliver Luck is. They thought he was a black guy. I'm looking. I'm like, oh no, Oliver's white. No, he's not. Okay, his name says Oliver Luck. I said, okay. We're sitting in the lounge. Oliver walks by. I said, there you go, right there. No, it ain't. Next day we come to find <laughs> out that was Oliver. <laughs> Everybody was like, huh? <laughs> they didn't yeah, know I had a great did. interview with him. Oh, he's a piece of work. Very, very intelligent guy. But boy, was he fun. Yeah, he... Uh... You know, we certainly mentioned your name during the podcast as well. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, what, what a, again, just, you know, beautiful. I hate to keep talking about me, but, but my childhood hero. Dude, you get, what you got to understand is you're, you're a pretty fortunate guy, to be honest with you. You, you got to see everything that came through there. And I mean, there were some characters that come through. And, 
Oliver was one of a kind. True story. We're in, we, I had one class with Oliver Luck, my only class, only one. It was a history class. He told me, he said, Dan, I'll see you later. So what do you mean? Don't you have to come to class? Oh, no. I'll be here on test days. It was a history, <laughs> it was a history class. He, he would somehow finagle around. Wouldn't come till it was test day. That boy never got none less than an A. I'm sure. You know, he was a Rhodes Scholar candidate. Oh, I know. He was. He was a Rhodes Scholar. That's what he did. He, he was a Rhodes Scholar? Yeah. He, he stopped playing in Houston to go on his Rhodes Scholar. He took his Rhodes Scholarship. He told me, he said, I'm playing four years, and that's it. I'm, de- I'm doing my road scholar. I, I'm smarter than this. So Oliver. Yeah, he, uh, he he made mention to his short career, you know, five years is what he said. And uh, he said, I, you know, why beat myself to death when I can go out here and, uh, you know, make some money? So can't blame him for that. Just like his son, Andrew, that stepped decide after eight years same type scenario you know he's uh, tired of getting beat to death and you know just just how hard is it in in the nfl from an insider's point of view uh i can i can relate to a college practice but what about an nfl practice walk us through that there an nfl practice when i first got to buffalo was like being put through a meat grinder now that's that's Camp and season or camp and season. Camp <clears throat> camp was brutal. We had three a days. You had one in the morning, which was just shells. You just put shoulder pads on and shorts. Ha- after the first week, then it was pads, three pa- three practices. And wow. it was three a day. One in the morning, one in the middle of the day, and one in the evening. And then I bet we, you slept good. Down to two days, and it broke down to one a days. We had it for one. We outside linebacker. No, in West Virginia, but we didn't have an outside linebacker that did not have an AC sprain. Both shoulders in Buffalo. That was back when they were running. If you remember in the early 80s, the Washington Redskins used to run this thing called sure. the counter track. Called the backside lineman? Yeah. Yeah. I was the linebacker. We made them stop running that because we we would get to the guard before the guard got to the center. And then we just go upfield and destroy the whole thing. But if you didn't get there fast enough and the big fellas got rolling, you were like, you were like somebody just rolled out a piece of little <laughs> on the floor, and they had some big linemen. Because that's seven hundred, that's seven hundred pounds coming at you. No matter how you look at it, it's seven hundred, three forty, and three forty. Fat people with pads on, yeah, that's seven hundred <laughs> pounds. Yeah, and that's you know I've never heard anybody talk and, about you know blowing it up from the inside like that. Oh, yeah. No, no. And then I used to try and we blew the counter tray up that counter tray that way up. And then a couple years later, when Cornelius comes, they're still running the same play. We still run in the same way. We looked at it one day in practice and he says, why don't we try and make the play? I looked at him. And our coach in front of us, who was a, who played in the league, his name was Walt Corey. He was our linebacker coach. He looked at me. He says, if you go do something like that, all I got to say is you better make the play. Because if you don't, we're going to have a discussion when you get to the <laughs> sideline. So Cornelius and I came up with a way to flathead the guard and slide up the field and make the tackle. Or either just try and beat the guard to make the tackle. Because sometimes you could try beating the guard and the guard would just push you by. And then they'd, they'd have the tackle coming and everybody on everybody else back on the, on the backside. So by hitting him flush, you stop the t- 
to guard in the tackles way, you know, big offensive linemen, they don't like moving their feet too much. They want to get on the track and stay on it. Well, if you clog that track up, he can't do anything. And now you got the running back just standing there going, oh, I took one step. Now I'm waiting on the back. Oh, shit, here he is. <laughs> and pap, he got a face full of Rydell. <laughs> what a what dare what great insight man uh well, that's that was Cornelius and i sitting there trying to figure out a way because we kept saying we're giving ourselves up if we give up one for one we lose we got to at least take out two to three people that was the way he and i looked at it if we're going to take out two or three people y'all better make the damn tackle so you're 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 in an nfl game <laughs> you're in an nfl game and they call in the defense, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They, the offense comes out, and you see something that you think you can take advantage of. Do you tell Cornelius, Cornelius, hey, it's, let's do this? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I don't have to say nothing to Cornelius because he's on the other side of the field. The only person I'm talking to is Bruce most of the time and, and Nate Odoms or, or Fulton behind me. Or not Fulton, but um, Mark Kelso behind me. So I'm looking at him. We're talking about what they're doing as the linemen are moving and everything. Cornelius and I are standing at the line of scrimmage having a conversation with each other about where they're at, what they're doing, how they're moving, what's doing on each motion. And Fred Smarles used to sit in the middle of the field, and he'd go, I don't know what to do. I got one over here screaming, and the other one over here screaming. I don't know. I'm just standing. I'm just going to hit the center in the middle. <laughs> That's what he would do. <laughs> but we would stand there and we would talk about what was going on in the play. Hey, you, me. And we tell each other and that would be it. We, when he first started playing, we used hand signals because he came in in the middle of the season, Cornelius did. And we learned how to, I learned how to get him in position and keep him out of harm's way until he learned the defense. So, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Okay, let, let's uh, go to a different line of, of questioning, if you will. Uh, I okay. want to throw out some terms and just give me just a quick answer on, e- on any of these, okay? Go Did you it. ever play in an NFL game where Freddie Wine was the referee? Yes. And a couple for of those that don't know, Freddie Wyant was a uh, great quarterback at West Virginia, beat Penn State three years in a row, went on to be a, an NFL referee. Uh, Freddie's a friend of mine. Again, I, I just got to meet so many Good people. Guy. Yeah, great guy. Um, consensus All-American. First one at WVU since Tom Bosley. Uh, <laughs> Daryl, I hate to break this to you, but Tom Bosley was the father on Happy Days. So, what, what was Bruce, uh, what was the Bruce guy's Bosley. name? <laughs> Bruce Bosley. I said Tom, didn't I? God damn, I'm st- sorry. <laughs> okay. I said, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Uh, I knew it was. I knew it was one of those three-letter words. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Bruce has three letters in it. <laughs> Bruce, yeah. But uh, anyway, you uh, oh uh, <laughs> done made me lose my train of thought now. Uh, Jack <laughs> Fleming and Woody O'Hara. Woody O'Hara, funny. Jack was just different for me. Woody was just comical and all over the place. Um, Jack, I just got to sit there and watch. Okay. And those were the voice of the Mountaineers when you played, by the way, for people that that may not know. Um, Circle the wagons. We do that very well. Chris Berman. Yes. The Buffalo Bills, nobody does it like we do. Because we internalize it, then we turn it outward on everyone else. And uh, and that that's complimenting me. And that's a it's a great take what they're saying. 
take what they're saying about you, internalize it, then turn it around and show them what it's like to be hit by it. <laughs> and, and that's a that's a great tag to be to be part of, you know, really. Uh yeah. Um West Virginia football fans. Best in the world. Some of the best in the world. They're fun. I will never forget playing at West Virginia. This is after they played at Syracuse the year before. And they got frozen oranges thrown at them at Syracuse. I think it was 77. They got frozen oranges thrown at them. They came in town. They got thrown. They had those little bitty bottles of Jack Daniels thrown at them. They were empty. <laughs> they threw and that, was, that was when the student section was right down That's by the where the visitors come out. Yeah, That's right. They, they, they moved it because of that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's now on the upper deck uh, on the far end. But, yeah, I, I remember when that happened. Uh, oh, that's the way uh, I was like, and I was cheering them on. I'm sorry. I was cheering them on because you know what? Where else are you going to get fans that act like that? Nowhere. That's right. And, they, and not care. Not care. Uh, Buffalo Bills fans. They're much like West Virginia fans, very loyal, will follow you everywhere. There's somebody from Western New York everywhere. I don't care where I've ever gone. I've always seen somebody from Western New York. I mean, I've gone to Italy, found a guy from Rochester. <laughs> I mean, all over, I've gone all over the country and I find somebody where they seem to find me. Yeah. Well, you do stick out in the crowd. Uh, yeah, if it was me, that. I'd take the, I'd take that funny hat off that you wear. Uh, you know, <laughs> one that's sticks up hat. like six feet. Yeah, your funny hat got the feather on top. I, I, yeah, I'm just saying, Daryl. Uh, <laughs> great answers. And uh, now let's go to another subject that may or may not be dear to your heart. This is Super Bowl week. You had the opportunity to play in four straight Super Bowls. Tell us about the Super Bowl experience. Uh, you uh, know, you're on a you're on a pedestal for a week here's, or two weeks. Here's the thing: the way I look at it, the only thing that could be more gratifying than getting to the Super Bowl is the birth of my kids. I mean, that is. This is the pinnacle of you got everybody in the entire world watching this game. Not just in your country, in other countries too. So yes, that that's one of the biggest things. And considering when I went to my first Super Bowl, we were at war and Black Hawk helicopters were flying all over the place. Um, Whitney used to sing the national anthem and I'm getting chill bumps on me now thinking about it. But yeah, our, our country was at war, and where else would you rather be than right here, right now, to steal a Marv line and playing that football game? And when you played the game and you looked at what was going on around you, think about it. What other what other game do you have? Blackhawk helicopters sitting on top of the stadium or around it. You've got military presence all over the place. Um, and then once the lights come on, there's nobody out there but you. Because everything else, <laughs> to, to be kind of honest with you, everything else sort of washes out. And then it becomes a football game. Then sometimes during the middle of the game, yeah. you get lost. Yeah. Did uh, the first Super Bowl, if I remember right, was uh, against the New York Giants. Giants. Is that correct? That's the one, yes. And uh, former teammate Jeff Hosteller. I told them all week about him, and they, they were all like, yeah, Darryl, we know you played with him. I said, no, y'all don't get it. Y'all don't get it. This boy is country strong. He ain't going to quit. There's no quit in him. I know. I, we know you played with him, Darryl. I said, no, I know. Trust me. They didn't want to listen. 
Bruce tried to see, Bruce had end zone. Had he made the sack, we have a safety. But because Jeff is so strong, it was a great player in his own right, he got rid of the ball. That lost, <laughs> there was a chance yeah. we had to win the game. Had we done that? And, and you know, Jeff, uh, again, you know, like you said, country strong, very football savvy, very football yes. smart. And uh, you talk about his toughness. Uh, Dude. The year at Pitt, uh, I think he got hit 16 times or something, and they he had to walk on the bus on yeah. crutches. He, he was, he was <laughs> he's a tough SOB. Like I told him, I said, look, he ain't going to quit coming. He's going to keep coming. He's going to be just like me. He ain't going to quit. <laughs> and everybody looked at Okay, Daryl, we get it. We get it. We get it. We get it. He's good. We get it. He's not going to quit. Because I said, you know, I said, look, dude, when he came in and played for Phil Sims, he did a good job. So now you got somebody that's bigger than Phil that can run. And they looked at me. Oh, we know you played with him. Okay. Okay, fine. They didn't, nobody said anything to me after the game. To this day. I don't imagine. To this day. Well, Daryl, you certainly had a great career uh, after football. Yes. Tell us what you're doing after football. Well, after football, I bought a company. I uh, ran it for about 15 years. Then I got out of that. Um, right now, I'm working in the NFL's legends community with the NFL. And I'm also trying to do a couple other things. I'm trying to do some things on the side to – try and help some people. I would like to help some folks get rid of um, an opiate problem we've got going on in the state of West Virginia and across the country and across the country. And there's a, there's a lot of medical things that are going on that I'd like to get involved in, but I'm just going to sort of keep that under my hat for now until it actually comes to fruition. Because I, I've heard that if you talk about a lot of stuff in advance before it actually hits the paper, it doesn't show up. So I guess I'll have to be quiet on that. But I really do think I'll be coming back to West Virginia to show some folks a little love and try and show them a different way to get out of a situation. I'll put it that way. Well, Daryl, the folks of West Virginia sure loved you, still love you. Your name still carries a lot of weight. Uh, I'm fortunate to count you as a friend. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. I... <laughs> Uh, kind of, you know, uh, but no, in all seriousness, you're a West Virginia legend. Uh, you know, at the time your, your locker was encased. I'll never forget that. that came down. And nobody never told me why. Well, I don't told me why it was taken down. I knew why it went up, but I never knew why it came down. And then they gave the number to another guy to wear. And you did. Right. And you didn't even get to get your shoes out of there. Those weren't mine anyway. I had my <laughs> shoes. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, they yeah. they just bordered up with a piece of plexiglass. But even as I was a, a football camper up there, you know, they'd make it a point to walk you by Daryl Talley's locker. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to ask yeah. somebody. Please do. Let me know when uh, you figure that one out. Because yeah. I don't know how you, re I don't I know how do. you retire a guy's number. Then unretire it. <laughs> and especially now you're a member of College Football Hall of Fame. I, I don't and, get it. Uh, I don't understand, but that's not for me. Maybe one day you'll be in camp. I hope. Uh, I hope. You I mean, I I think well, I, I think I've done enough to get myself there. I mean, the numbers I have still still stand up to this day. And here's the other really ironic part. My wife told me the other day that I really didn't realize that I'm still the all-time leading tackler for two teams, two franchises, West Virginia University and the Buffalo Bills. And I never knew that. Wow. So I learned something new. Teaching old dogs some new tricks. Let me tell you. You know, I, I made a famous tackle yeah. one time. Who was it on? Yeah, I'll, well, I don't know what his name was, but he come out of Wendy's carrying two bags, and I thought 
That guy don't need both he those bags. He need both of them. You know they tried to take me to jail for that. Something about assault or something like that. <laughs> but anyway. I guess you beat him up. Anyway. Did you eat both of his hamburgers and make him watch? Uh, well, <laughs> I never thought about letting him watch. Uh, I was trying to get him down before the cops showed up. You know, lack of evidence. That's what you heard when I was thinking. But, uh, Did he get to watch you eat them then? <laughs> Daryl, uh, did you know you get you win a prize for being on a the prize? show? I get a prize. What's it? Uh, you guys, you got wait a minute. West yeah, Virginia's yeah. already given me my prize. You know what that was? West, well, Virginia, no. West Virginia gave me What's my that? wife many years ago. So yeah, thank you. That was well, my prize. You know, I, yeah, you got it on <laughs> tape, Daryl. I get it. You know. Listen, honey. Listen, honey. What I had to say about you. You know, I, I play that. I play oh, that game too. That was funny. <laughs> so, but uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you got a lovely wife, Daryl, and, and she'll appreciate that. But, but really, you you win a oh, prize for being a guest. Well, you got to pick between A and B. Now, let me tell you what Oliver missed out on. Oliver missed out on a trip to Aruba. A trip to Aruba. That's what he because he, he picked the wrong one. So he did pick A. So I'm gonna pick A. Okay. First, let me tell you what you didn't win, Daryl. Okay. You didn't win. You didn't win an all expense paid trip to the country of your choice. Well, I'm in it already. Well, oh, but okay. in case you want to travel. So now I guess you yeah, want to know what you did win. You win when they tore down old Mountaineer Field. They found an old mouthpiece. They don't know whose it was. Well, I didn't have any teeth back then, so but, it might not have been mine. Well, it might not have been. They they don't know whose it was, but but All right. that's what you want. I'll take the mouthpiece. You know, most you know, no, most people just tell me to keep it. it to me because I want to see if it's mine. If it's got the two teeth missing, <laughs> that's funny. Hey, look, folks, we've had a great guest tonight. Dare we come back sometime? I sure appreciate you uh, having you and Oliver, two of the the greatest Mountaineers, and certainly in your case, consensus All American, oh, on here in the same that's day. My homeboy, Oliver uh, is. He's he's what I he's what I measured most quarterbacks against. If you really want to know the truth, when I when I look at quarterbacks, I measure them up against Oliver. Would he be able to run like Ollie? Is he going to be able to hit you? Because Oliver would hit you. <laughs> but can he throw? So yeah, I judge them all like that, but especially with his guts. If you didn't get, I got no time, no, no time for a quarterback with no guts. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, you certainly, you certainly have had a couple in, in Oliver and and uh, Jim <laughs> Kelly. What a gutty <laughs> quarterback he was. That's what I'm saying. I I got I got something that they, like they say, they'll sit theirs up on the table, and give you the hammer. Say you swing first, but just remember, I get to swing second. That's it's right. So yeah, right. I played with some of those, and those are the kind of guys I like because they're not gonna they're not gonna run when it gets hot, and they're not gonna run when it gets tight. They're gonna stand and fight. Well, Daryl, you you certainly one of one of the toughest players I ever saw play, well, college and pro. Uh, your reputation, your reputation is. Uh, is one of that I, I kid you a lot, and uh, you kid me back, and I appreciate that. But uh, I like to tell you that I'm coming down there to kick your butt, and like I've told you, I'm not counting on doing it. I just like to tell people that I told Daryl Talley that I was coming down there to kick his eye. I'm going to run. I'm not. I wouldn't fly down there to, to take the chance, but uh, uh, <laughs> it just uh, you know the 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 reaction I get is get what. Yeah, be there, Sally. 
But uh, I appreciate you being on. This has been episode 45 of Talking to the Mic with uh, Consensus All-American Daryl Talley. Uh, yes. All pro, right, Daryl, yes. in the NFL. Uh, played in four straight Super Bowls. Played on great teams. Uh, the man has seen and done it just about all. And I cannot thank him enough, Mr. Talking to the Mic, brought to you by RSN Sports, best in the business, Parmar, and Brent's Plumbing.